This is Start Disrupting, a show about the innovator, scientist, and designer disrupting industries and creating 10x impact. I'm your host, Brett Malone, President and CEO of the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Today on the show is Gary Warren of IV Watch. Gary started his career at NASA Langley in Hampton Roads. He's currently now the CEO of IV Watch. IV Watch is developing interesting new critical biosensors to help patients in hospital systems. On the show, we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship, technology, and transcending moving from engineering to business and integrating all of your skills. Stay tuned. You're going to like what Gary has to say. So Gary, welcome to the show. Tell me a little bit about your NASA experience. You know, how did you get to where you are? And, uh, you know, starting with the beginning of the story, it's quite interesting in terms of working at Langley and some of your original background. Yeah, I, so I started at uh, Langley in uh, 1982. If you're old enough, you remember those days. It was punch cards and computer <laughs> printout delivery bins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was going to engineering school and Quite frankly, I was running out of money. I didn't have I didn't have enough money to continue on the school, and so Langley was hiring uh, interns or co-ops, and so they had a program set up where you could work a semester, go to school a semester, work a semester, go to school a semester. So I basically worked my way through uh, engineering school, working at Langley, on, you know, every other semester, and then the final year of my engineering school was a full year. So I went from basically picking up. I'm not joking. I basically went from picking up cafeteria trays to uh, sitting at a drafting board drawing hypersonic uh, inlets uh, in the high-speed aerodynamics division and then uh, designing wind tunnel models. I mean, back then you didn't have things like SolidWorks and and, uh, AutoCAD and all that. It was a lot of pencil work. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you and I share similar backgrounds. I did my PhD in aerospace engineering at Tech and uh, spent some time in the wind tunnel that Virginia Tech inherited from, from Langley years and years ago. Which one did you get? Uh, We had the stable, the transonic tunnel. So uh, very smooth uh, laminar flow and, uh, you know, good quality airflow. Is it the 16-foot tunnel? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that was where I I worked in there my second semester. Okay. And, uh, yeah, during uh, uh, one of the days that we were working, somebody snuck in there with a skateboard and got caught. (laughs) And uh, it was a a perfect skateboarding, too. But I drove by there about 10 years ago or so, and the the tunnel was missing. Yeah. And I'm like, where did it go? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a great resource. And, you know, like you mentioned, SolidWorks, too. A lot of simulation now is taking the place, you know, with the CFD modeling and yeah. But there, there's no replacement for understanding, you know, what goes on with some of the, the weird flow dynamics. So you have a really, you know, impressive background in terms of entrepreneurship. And but it's interesting, you know, Langley being a research facility and the NASA sort of ecosystem and the NASA culture. What was it about either the NASA culture or, or your wiring in particular that drove you towards more of a startup uh, direction? Well, you know, back then, I, it, it, it is interesting. The, back then, times were very different. You know, if you remember back in the mid-90s, you know, entrepreneurship meant unemployed. I mean, it wasn't the glorious word it is today. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah we you did, know, when you we went to work for it. sexy now. But yeah. Uh, right, it, it was big risk. <laughs> 
yeah, everybody now is like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be an entrepreneur, you know, and, and I don't even think the word entrepreneur existed, quite frankly, back in the mid-90s. So anyway, I, uh, the a confluence of events back then in the mid-90s, if you remember, I mean, that's when uh, Newt Gingrich kind of controlled the House of Representatives and Bill Clinton was president. And we had these big furloughs happening. And at that time, I had um, I had jumped ship from uh, computational fluid dynamics and started working. Uh, so while Bill Clinton was in the White House, Al Gore, if you remember, was off in his office inventing the Internet. And um, so the program I got involved with was the High Performance Computing Communication Initiative. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. And so I was a project manager there for a couple of years. And then they started furloughing people, not furloughing. It was well, it's, remember, they shut the government down. Um, and, uh, and then it was, it was terrible. I would sit at home and I watch, you know, my little 15 inch color TV, all these people talk about, about how, you know, these, uh, non-essential government employees. And, and back then all of a sudden government employees, they were hated. They were literally hated by the general public and, uh, it was not glamorous. And, and, um, and then I had people calling uh, that we had been working with out in the community and around the state of Virginia saying, hey, can you do work on the side? So the government opened back up, went in for a week, they closed back down. And I'm like, I've got to resign. They got to open up so I can resign. And as soon as they opened up again, I walked in with a resignation letter. And back then, people did not resign from, <laughs> from their job. And uh, I ended up having the inspector general escort me into a room. And, it, it, you know, people just didn't quit. You got a job back in the... 80s right. you stayed with it for 30 years exactly. so well and that, that so, was, that's what makes your your background so interesting to, to spend years at nasa like that but then you know it's it's interesting the observation that i'm hearing is sort of risk was more on that side of things and you know yeah. where you would normally think of a public sector position like that being stable you know you went through a period where it was very unstable yeah, exactly. I mean, look, they just shipped one of our wind tunnels to Virginia Tech. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's right. Selling off pieces of the enterprise. Well, and, and so for you moving from something like NASA into starting some of your companies, and what I'd love to do is kind of move into a second segment here where we talk a little bit about, you know, this evolution of technology and startups, because you've had, you've had multiple startups. And it seems like if I, if I look at your background, uh, you know, there's technologies that have matured and you've been in a position where you take advantage of that to create uh, another company or a new company. Am I getting that right? I mean, it feels to me like you've sort of surfed from one technology as it's evolved and matured and you've created a company to capitalize on that uh, as I think back and look over sort of your body of work. Yeah, I have been fortunate on that. And, you know, you don't always get it right, right? I mean, um, sometimes the technologies as they mature, um, sometimes you can get on that train a little too early. But, it, you know, there's an interesting phenomenon that's happened. If you look at, you know, if you look at how much knowledge is being created, you know, in the universe, and then you look at how we develop as people, um, you know, we always kind of, those things were always in sync 20, 30 years ago, but knowledge today and things accelerate so fast. There is no way you can start a college degree and think you're going to be doing the same thing in 30 years. It's right. things change too fast. Right. And um, so, you know, I have been fortunate to get involved, you know, at the beginnings and, and I've learned some hard lessons. You know, I have a lot of scars from 
I, I call it the art of too early. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, it, that's very easy to do because you you know you look at a new technology and go, oh, we can do this, this, and this. Right. And one of the companies I ran was called AppForge, and we were developing a mobile application platform for uh, Rim, BlackBerry, and Symbian, and Palm OS. Remember all those guys who were coming out in the cell space. And I remember sitting in, in the CTO's office at American Airlines and at, at E-Trade saying, look, you can do trading on a BlackBerry. And they're like, nobody will ever do that. Nobody will ever do that. Nobody will ever book a flight on a mobile device. And so that was a serious case of art of too early. And you got you to be careful of that. So, But I, you know, I've learned a lot about, you know, you have to kind of come out with the technologies or advance them as the market is just accepting them. If you if you're ahead of the market acceptance curve, you're not going to do well. Yeah, it's interesting. How, what's your philosophy on? We have a lot of younger startups here, and they're going through models, and they're they're trying to evolve and figure out what does the market footprint look like for them. What's your philosophy on pivoting or persisting? You know, we always are wondering whether someone needs to push through and have more energy to take their model versus hey, let's realize maybe they're too early for this market. Do they need to pivot with a different kind of model? What, what's your philosophy on, on thinking through those? Well, um, I'm more of a persisting guy. So okay, I think once you, you know, once you commit, you just, you gotta, you got, it's like climbing a, you know, a mountain, right? <laughs> once you yeah. commit and you're going to put your foot in that hole, you're going to do it and you yeah. don't think about it. So now, has that served me well? I mentioned the AppForge story. Probably not. Probably should have done a pivot back then. And I'm a little stubborn and, you know, I want to finish what I started. Um, but generally speaking, I, you know, I don't, I, I'm more of a persisting guy within reason. You got to yeah. follow through. Yeah, I think that's a, a, that's good advice because even if you had pivoted, the market just wasn't really ready and, yeah. and, and you had to have other technology stacks come into play to be able to deliver on the whole mobile experience. So some of the interesting too, you know, you think about your CFD trained engineer, now CEO of a medical device oriented company. Um, you know, it's interesting because our society tends to want to put labels on people and it's probably, you've probably heard several times, how did an aerospace engineer get involved in a biotech or a medical device company? And it's interesting to think about these boundaries and these labels that we put on each other. How, how do you feel about your ability to sort of transcend and move across different industries flexibly? So I think you're referring to, oh, he's an engineer, so he's not a business guy attitude. <laughs> and there's yeah. a lot of that. There's a lot of labels, you know, and, yeah. you know, whether yeah. you're raising money or whether you're trying to sell something and uh, you're right. I mean, there are just labels that, yeah that hold, in my opinion, some of our entrepreneurs inadvertently put their labels on themselves and it holds themselves back. So how do yeah, we prevent it, that? What, what's your perspective on that? Well, we have to, you know, the market statistics don't bear that story, right? If I, when I'm out in the venture capital community, I would say today, well over half of the VCs are engineers and uh, it's, it's crazy. Even if you look at you know, the success, very big successful companies, all of those people, you know, Steve Jobs and all of them, they, they were all in STEM programs, engineering programs with their successes. And so I, I, you know, I have four kids and I, there's a few careers 
that I, I you know I and I've I've experienced the the label making I mean at Semantic I so the first company I started out in NASA was called UR Labs and I sold it to Semantic four years later it was an internet infrastructure company and I and that's where I got introduced to the label making and um, but I ran their investment fund I had a small fifty million dollar investment fund I ran their advanced concepts group and we also bought companies so I got to participate in all of that but I had a really good mentor John Thompson who was just recently stepped down as chairman of Microsoft was my boss then. And, and, uh, you know, he made me, he, you know, he said, if you're going to be reporting to me, you have to spend half of your time out in the field with the sales team. And so, you know, I, I think it's a lot easier to turn an engineer into a business person than to turn a business person into an engineer. Engineering is a horrible degree. We're in the business. All we do is we look around the room and we look for problems to solve. You know, hey, you need to put caulking in that corner up there. But that's what we do. We look for problems to solve. And we're in the business of telling people there's no Santa Claus, right? Yeah. So the engineering aspect of it, I think, is I think is perfect for these small start, startup companies. So uh, tell us a little bit more about IV Watch and specifically where, where are you headed? I mean, you've had a big impact. Uh, we're, we're grateful to have you in the ecosystem and we're excited to watch what you're doing. We saw a little bit of what you've been doing through COVID, but um, give, give our listeners a little bit more of an update on IV Watch and, and what you're excited about. I um, talk about this a lot. You know, my training at NASA has really impacted um, how IV Watch is run and where it's going. You know, we talked a little bit about computational fluid dynamics and wind tunnels and all that stuff. And, you know, today, Today, you know, the democratization of being able to do real R&D without having to go to a government lab is there. I mean, it's quite incredible. I mean, get, you know, you can get a copy of MATLAB and get a 3D printer and uh, build a 32-node MATLAB cluster with gaming computers. And, you know, that's what we do here at IV Watch. We do simulations and then we do experiments to validate the simulations and then do actual products and manufacturing. It's exactly the way we used to design airplanes, right? And um, so that methodology is carried along. But what we're doing at IV Watch now is really advancing the biosensor space and, you know, the computational aspects of what we do. You know, they call it AI now. Um, you know, back in the day, those words weren't around, you know, we just had things like support vector machines and all that stuff. But we do a lot of that work here and we can get down in and do a lot of analysis on tissue interaction with, with sensors and all of that stuff. So we came out with a, a biosensor that tells you if your IV is good or bad, which is a big deal. Um, but we're expanding that portfolio to turn your IV dressing kind of into that whole multi-parameter patient monitoring thing that uh, instead of having all these wires all over you, the real estate around your IV site is prime real estate and it's never been tapped into. You know, we have these pulse oximeters that you put on your fingertip. And if you want to call the nurse in, you just move your finger up and down because they start false alarming and doing all kinds of bad stuff. So, um, but the R and D, and then we also have a segment of our company. We do all of our manufacturing on sensors internally. Now we used to contract that out. And I had investors that would pound on me and say, you need to contract out everything to China and you need to, you know, we don't do manufacturing in this country. And then the pandemic hit. Now I feel vindicated because we had very little China exposure. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
Yeah, it's really interesting to think about your what you're doing in terms of the awareness, the software, the learning, and in all of the integration. I think you know we're seeing we're seeing the integration of like you say AI, which is a sexy term. You know, we've all been doing optimization techniques. We've all been doing you know neural networks. I mean, we've been doing right. neural networks for a long time, but now it's just got a sexy now it's got a name. Now it's got a name. But it's interesting because a lot of these. People don't realize that it's not a hardware company or a software company. No, no right. longer do you have that designation. Everything has to be, in, you know, if you're going to be successful, it has to be integrated. Yeah. In fact, um, our, the, you know, our saying here is what's our business at IV watch it's mathematics and sensors, right? That's, you can't have one without the other. A physical sensor gives you outputs, but you got to have the very complex math problem solving capability on the back end to interpret and integrate all that. And um, so you have to, you know, mathematics, get, mathematics is very important now, advanced math. And I, I, I think sometimes that's lost when people come out with sensor technology, they just come out with a physical sensor and say, Oh, look, it does temperature. Right. But it's, it's more complicated than that. Well, we're, we're excited again. And uh, from a location perspective, you know, you, you've remained in the Hampton Roads area. Uh, you're finding growth there, finding suitable access to talent. Tell, tell us a little bit about growing a business uh, there at Tech Center. Uh, the CRC has a component of its enterprise there at Tech Center. We're, as I mentioned, glad to have you as part of this, this operation. Tell us a little bit about uh, what companies could expect in terms of growing in your region. This, this this is an incredibly great area. I mean, it, it, you know, the crime rate's low. Um, the climate, you know, if you can just get through August, you're doing doing well. Um, but we have the Chesapeake Bay here. We have so much stuff. You know, I live in Williamsburg and raised four boys there. Wonderful experience. And um, you know, there's you know, if you want to do big city stuff, you got Norfolk. There's it's just such a great area. And the people, I do move people here sometimes. You know, like. Mm-hmm. I need to get, you know, high end quality and regulatory people. Sometimes I'll have to move people here. They love it. I've never had uh, anybody say, oh, I don't like working here. I'm moving out of the area. Once people get here, they're stuck. And, uh, you know, it's, oh, my gosh, you get to go fishing every weekend. Yeah. How awful is that? (laughs) Or surfing. So we're surfing. (laughs) Yeah. No, we're we're glad you have a beautiful facility. I love your storefront glass. It's always cool to see you know, to walk by and, and see the machine in action. <laughs> oh, you've been by our manufacturing uh, area? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really, it's really cool to see that. And it's, it's cool to see how, how you've integrated all these components. So Gary, uh, thanks so much for joining. It's, it's really been a pleasure to talk with you and, um, it, you know, continued good luck with IV watch. Um, and we appreciate everything you're doing and we'll keep tabs on, uh, on the NASA wind tunnel over on our side. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And that's it for this episode. Subscribe to Start Disrupting wherever you get your podcasts. We have a new disruptor on our show every two weeks, and you're not going to want to miss it. Check out vtcrc.com for the latest on our research park and over 225 companies that call us home. Until next time, always change the game.